Okay, we have a lot of questions that were asked or submitted. If we don't get through all of these today, we have another question to answer tomorrow. I would prefer to get through all of these tonight in this Q&A. Not that we're going to stay long, but we do want to get through them quickly so that we have a whole Q&A session for any questions that might be raised for tomorrow. So I'll ask Andrew these questions. He has not seen these ahead of time, correct? All right. Here are the rules. You have to answer quickly and concisely so we can get on to the next question. If you break the rules, I will shame you publicly, and they will all cheer for me. Just, uh, does he follow these rules on Sunday? Yes. All right. Does answering questions really help share the gospel? Because they really don't want to know and are just using them to shut you down, shut down the conversation and make you look stupid. Yeah, <coughs> they do. I mean, I'm going to get into more of asking questions tomorrow uh, morning, so I don't want to speak too much on it now, but... Yeah, they're answering questions, asking questions will, will make them think. It changes the dynamic of a conversation. I'll get into that in more detail tomorrow morning. How do you share the gospel with somebody who is <coughs> grieving for a loved one who is not saved because it means that they accept what you're saying, then they are confessing that their loved one is in hell? Yeah, now and here I have a little bit of a different advantage maybe than most of you. My mother died when I was 10, and so I can tell people, and I know it sounds horrible, but I have no reason to believe that my mother is in heaven. Um, she never believed in Christ. She is, for all I can tell, she would be in hell right now. Um, that's not what people want to hear. But here's how you can always do this with a loved one, uh, especially one that passes away. I can always say that, in this case, using my mother, if my mother was here today and could speak to you, she would want you to hear this message. And I can always go to the passage in Luke with the, the rich man, and Lazarus, who said, send someone to my brothers. That's good. How do you deal with the fallout after having shared the gospel with somebody you're close with and you see them often? I'm assuming the premise of that question is, is that it, they've rejected it. You know, there's a... Yeah. Um, I, I had that actually with one of my neighbors um, that, uh, that his family was Jehovah's Witness. And so we used to have Jehovah's Witnesses coming through every day. Um, until I moved in, because Jehovah's Witnesses avoid me. And so, um, and then I started sharing the gospel, and my neighbors were suddenly like, oh, no. But the reality is that sometimes you're going to lose relationships. Um, that happens. Uh, I pretty much lost relationships with my father until about two years ago. We kept a very, like, we would talk, but we, don't ha we didn't have a relationship. Um, and that can happen. What I've done with my family was I just keep reaching out to them. I keep trying to show love to them. Um, you know, try to find ways of, of doing things for them, buy gifts for them. Don't let them run away, but you go out of your way to just show as much love as you possibly can. Almost all of my family members are atheists besides my mom, my grandma, and me. I want to talk to them, but I get so nervous because they are my family and I love them. I want them to know God's word. How do I talk to them? Well, I'll disagree with the premise. They already, they're, they are not atheists. They know God exists. They're suppressing that. Um, when you know that up front, you realize the real issue is not the facts of what the scriptures say or the, the gospel message. It's the fact that there's something that they don't want to think about. And so often I will ask someone, I, I will, I've done this for years, and have done this with probably thousands of atheists, especially the hardcore atheists, they'll say that they're an atheist, and I'll ask them what church they grew up in. Only one in years has only, has not been, didn't grow up in church. 
they're almost always responding, reacting to their upbringing. So when you get someone that says they're an atheist, I usually try to determine what it was that happened that brought them to the conclusion that God doesn't exist. And sometimes I'll word it by just saying, what's your best argument for atheism? And let them talk. And they usually find out they don't have one. Is it good to start with a tactical <coughs> approach, like Kokel takes in his book, Tactics? When yeah. you begin to ask, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? How'd you come to that conclusion? Yeah. All you right. read that book. That's good. I've read that book. Actually, I, I, don't, I don't admit to reading your books. Okay. We have, taken, we have taken our youth group through Tactics. We have, every four years, we take our student ministries through Greg Kokel's Tactics, and we had to have the DVD curriculum. So, teenagers, how many of you have been through that curriculum? Okay. And now they're going to go through what do we believe is... An, Hey, I tried. <laughs> that's, that's why you're here. We're doing it one weekend, and we can drop it. We're not on. even talking about that. Okay. Uh, how would you evangelize a parent that has studied the Bible extensively and is convinced they have the truth but are steeped in Old Testament legalism? Okay. So it's a parent who... That was a parent, was what you said? Yeah. It's a parent who studied... Parent, it could be a parent, grandparent, cousin. <clears throat> studied the Bible extensively. Convinced they have the truth, but they're steeped in Old Testament yeah. legalism. One thing you can do is, is well, obviously, the most important thing to do is be praying for them. Okay. Um, the, the issue there, especially when it's a parent, uh, just recognize that no matter how old you are, you're sometimes always a child in your parents' eyes. Okay. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was 52 years old at the time. We were discussing that very thing. What we came up with the idea was uh, he was doing research on world religions for something he was doing, so I was going to ship him some of my manual. But I didn't want to ship it to him. What I said is I'm going to ship it to your dad. I'm going to ship it to his address. I'm going to include a letter to explain why we're shipping it to him because you're traveling. And so we waited for him to be traveling out of the country. And I said I'm going to include a letter explaining the impact you've had on people's lives and my life, and I'm going to share the gospel with your father. So what we chose to do was to do it a different way by having someone else do it. Uh, I tried to do that with my dad. I sent him, just as a, a trial, I um, sent him the book, Jose The Works of Josephus, a Jewish historian writing about the Jewish wars. He returned it to me unopened. Okay, so that didn't work. <laughs> do you know why he returned it unopened? Yes. Does anybody here know why? That wasn't in our conversation recently? Because Josephus, who was an unbelieving Jew, makes mention of a man named Jesus from Nazareth, who his disciples said rose from the grave. He was crucified on a Roman cross, buried in a grave, and then his disciples claimed that he had risen from the dead. So that was from, that was from ancient Jewish testimony. That's why his dad yeah. rejected him. And that's him. why I tried sending him that, because I figured he likes history. This is a Jewish person. I thought, it, you know, so sometimes you're going to get that. Okay, person says, ah, oh, Christianity, the great disruptor and destroyer of mankind. How do you respond to that and start a conversation? Yeah, I'd ask them to give me some examples. Almost every example they're going to give me is the Roman Catholic Church. The Crusades. Roman Catholic Church. Salem witch trials. Well, okay, I don't know enough about them to know, but I, my understanding is that the Salem witch trials were very few people, not the way media plays it. I think it was just like seven, you know, not hundreds. Um, so, so in that example that they, they make, they're making a claim, and you're asking yeah. them to support the claim. I'm asking them questions. That's a tactical approach. That's, the, that's what we'll deal with tomorrow, yeah. Can you wait for tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. What can you say or you do say to... say quick. Why are you slowing up? 
Okay. What can you say or do to close, close family members who reject what you have shared in the past? How do you open the lines of communication after being shut down? They've rejected it once. How do you open up the lines of communication? That goes back to, to sharing, sharing as much love as possible. Um, okay, now this may take time if I do this, but share, you, you know a little bit about my testimony with my parents. Yeah. You want me to get into that? Yeah. Can you do it quickly? No. Um, so my parents obviously did not appreciate the gospel. They didn't appreciate me being a Christian. Um, I was even told I had to change my T-shirt once because I had Moses and the Ten Commandments. I thought that would be safe. Um, it wasn't a pleasant, pleasant sight. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was very difficult when your parents will not let you share anything. Um, and even if I tried to bring things in of Judaism, which I understand Judaism better than them, um, it becomes hard. You keep praying. You keep praying and you look for opportunities. I can tell you that some of those opportunities can come at a painful price. My father, as I said, struck me when I was 46 years old at Thanksgiving. It wasn't a pleasant thing. But that had an effect through some other things that happened that my father came to a realization of the damage he did to his relationship with his own son because of Christianity. And he's now at uh, 78 years old trying to, to repair a relationship that was damaged over 30 years ago. So you keep praying and you keep looking for ways to show love, just never giving up. You never know what God's going to do. How would you share the gospel with family members who claim to be atheists related to other questions, and are relativistic at best? Well, a good questionnaire knows to group these questions together when they read through them and summarize them. Hint, start doing that. Uh, I mean, you, I'll give the same answer. Right? I mean, I, look, a atheism isn't this, you know, they make it try sound like this is like this intelligent thing, okay? Uh, you you want to you completely destroy atheism? I mean, I can tell you how to completely destroy atheism. It's called homosexuality. It's called transgenderism. Why? If atheism is true, there is no God, we are just the products of chemical reactions, therefore, everyone should act according to their biology. So anybody that's a man that has attractions to a man is acting against their biology. You can't explain that within atheism. You can't explain transgenderism. I grew up as a, I was born as a boy, but I think I'm a girl. What do you mean you think you're a girl? Your biology is a boy. The only thing you should know is boy, not girl. And so the reality is when they say, well, I identify this way, you're not appealing to biology. You're to appealing to a soul that you deny exists. You're appealing to something immaterial. So that's how I approach it. Because they all support homosexuality and, and transgenderism but it, it undermines their argument because they have to rely on a soul, the immaterial part of us, that they want to deny. In using humor and the law, does it take something away from the person coming to real terms with the gravity of their sin? I've seen and had people laugh about their being a liar, etc. Yeah, I, and, and one of the things, if I didn't make it strong enough, I'm not trying to say that we should be a comedian. We don't make light of the gospel. Okay, and I'm going to get to that tomorrow when I talk about the law. I want the weight of God's word, the conviction of sin being from the Holy Spirit, not from me. Okay? 
I am not the Holy Spirit. I have seen plenty of evangelists that think they're the Holy Spirit, that they're going to bring someone to conviction. They're going to make someone feel that they're, that they're under judgment. And God's not doing that. They're doing that. And the reality is the person is reacting to the, to the other person, not to God. I want to remove myself out of it. I want the, the gospel, the, the law of God and the gospel to be clearly heard. So I, I, don't, I, I think if you're trying to be funny for just to be funny and not to lighten a conversation, it could become an issue. But the thing that we have to be clear is when we present the gospel that it is crystal clear, they feel, that they hear the, the, what the law actually is and how it's used. And that they, they, if the Holy Spirit is going to do so, will come under that conviction. I'll share tomorrow different stories and, and things that have happened where people get very serious when you go through the law of God. And they might be joking around in the beginning of the conversation, but when we start getting into, are you guilty before God, people get very serious. How do you check yourself to remember to have compassion on people's souls and not see them as a mark or even see them as the enemy? That is a great question. Um, there are a lot of people that go out to evangelize. I've seen it where they're sitting there and they're, they're really not interested in the person. Okay? Um, I recognize every time I go out that this person doesn't like the message that I'm proclaiming. But guess what? If, if it wasn't for the grace of God in my life, I would be in their position, headed to hell. I have to remind myself of that every time. They're not my enemy. They're God's enemy, but I'm not God. If they're yelling at me, they're not yelling at me. They're yelling because if, if I do my job right, I'm removing myself as the offense, they're upset with God and his word. That's what they're upset with. Then fine. If they're upset with me because I'm acting like a jerk, then it's on me. And so I have to constantly remind myself, you know, one of the things that I that I try to do is I will say, when, when I'm, especially if I'm doing open air, I will announce that I'm not raising my voice because I'm angry. I, I'm out here because I love you. I care where you spend eternity. I say that over and over and over to them. Some of it is so that they understand that and hear it. Some of it is a reminder to me. Is Roman Catholicism just another Christian denomination? Now I'm really going to get in trouble. Not, not here. So if you, if you take a look in my book, What Do They Believe?, you're going to see five, five, parts of, uh, five things that define a cult. Okay, Authoritarianism, uh, only they can, can, can interpret the Bible, um, that they twist Scripture, that they isolate folks to say that you, you can't have the truth outside of their organization, uh, that they're exclusive, or sorry, that they isolate people to, to where they only stay part of that organization. They're exclusive that only they have the truth. Um, you can add to that harm, especially when people leave. If you look at that definition, the Roman Catholic Church fits the definition of a cult. Um, now, people say, but they don't do harm. That's true. Not in America, they don't do harm. In South America, they do. In other times in the world, they do. Crusades, Spanish Inquisitions, you're not Catholic. The, the Reformation, you die. So, yeah, I believe they're a cult. If you believe in predestination, why do we need to evangelize? Um, so, I, <laughs> so predestination is a fun topic. Um, 
I, so I'm going to have to preface the question, you know. Uh, so predestination is a term to say that God uh, has chosen us before a foundation of time. Um, that is baby talk to humans. Okay, whenever you talk theology, you must go back to the attributes and nature of God. God, th- there is no before the foundation of time to God. He's eternal. Just because God knows something happens does not make it causative for the people who say that everything is predestined, meaning that God, that God is forcing everything and we have no responsibility. Okay? God is omniscient. He knows everything. He never learned anything. He never looked down the tunnels of time and said, ooh, I see who's going to believe and I'll, I'll elect them. Because that would make him bound by time and make him having to observe something. That's not the God of the Bible who's eternal and omniscient. Okay, so when God speaks of predestination, he's trying to explain to us something we can never comprehend. That he's eternal and omniscient, because we can't think that way. And so he uses language like that to try to communicate to us that he's in control. He's doing it all. It has nothing to do with us. Now, should we be evangelizing? Well, yes, because God commands it. It's really that simple. Um, do we have time for, take a couple seconds to explain the predestination a little more? Because yeah, here's, here's the you. thing. Um, I'm, I'm this close to shaming you. Just Good. <laughs> I've been out here all week, been shamed quite a bit, thanks to Officer Black. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that Pastor Jim will tell you that story. <laughs> so here's the thing. Okay, when we, when we talk about this whole idea of predestination, people get into Calvinism or Arminian, these debates about election, let me bring it to an easier point for us to understand. Whenever I talk about this, I have a paper on our website on Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10. I call it human res- or God's sovereignty, human responsibility. I try to avoid the language that people get, all the labels people get upset with. Here's the thing. I like to start at a different point. Who wrote the book of Romans? Shout it out. Some of you said Paul and some of you said God. Which is it? Can you choose? You see, there's this doctrine of superintending that God worked through Paul, so even though Paul wrote of his own, it's exactly as God intended it. We understand that doctrine. So you're saved. Do you do good works, or does God do the good works? God does the good work. You do the work, and God gets all the credit. Paul wrote Romans, God gets all the credit. God gets 100% of the credit. So salvation... God works through the person. So even though they think experientially they chose, theologically, God gets all the credit. So that's how I explain that. You have shared successfully, even if difficult, uh, even if difficult encounters, share a time you totally blew it and why that should encourage us. Oh, I plan to do that tomorrow. One of the dumbest things I've ever done. Can you give us a different example than the one you're giving us tomorrow? Um, Probably, I mean, the one I could, uh, if I think of another really good dumb thing I've done, um, I, I was in Union Square, New York City, and I was attempting to share the gospel with, a, um, with someone, and basically what ended up happening was they were, they were basically struggling with something that I didn't, wasn't aware of, 
I wasn't very sensitive to it. And, inst- and this is, I mean, I learned from my mistakes. That's, I mean, all that I'm going to teach you is basically 30 plus years of mistakes. Uh, I wasn't sensitive to it. And I saw that it bothered them. And, and what I ended up doing was laughing at it. And what they did was walk away. Okay. Um, and it, it's something where I, it, you know, I just thought it was funny. And maybe in other circumstances it could have been, but in that circumstance it gave their pride a reason to walk away from the situation and feel justified that I was insensitive and mean. But I'll have a better one tomorrow. It's I was super stupid. What is the best action to take in sharing the gospel with a Mormon brother-in-law and sister when, if you ground them to powder, you can't get the Mormonism out of them? You can't get the Mormonism out of them. I mean, the reality is these people are blinded. The, the, the suppression of truth shows up in a lot of different ways. Uh, Mormonism is one, they have a testimony. They have a burning in the bosom. I was just out at a temple not long ago, and they, they told me, if you just read the Book of Mormon and pray for the burning in the bosom. I said, I have, but it was heartburn. <laughs> um, the, the reality is that they are clinging to something because they want to deny the truth. As long as they want to deny the truth, they're going to keep clinging to that. The reality is, uh, and you can look, you can talk to the folks at Mormon Research Ministry, mrm.org. Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson will tell you, and, they, and it's, there's a chapter in the book that explains this, in the, or actually it's in the introduction. Most people that leave Mormonism do not become Christians, even when evangelized. They become atheists. Because the Mormon church has told them that the Bible has been corrupted. You can't trust it. Only Mormonism is true. That presupposition, then when they realize Mormonism is not true, they don't run to Christianity. They're already convinced that's not true. So they run from everything. So the, the way to pri- more to do it is to share the gospel and work through showing what, how the Bible is different. Most Mormons don't read the Bible. Okay, they read the Book of Mormon, they read their other documents, they don't read the Bible. Get them reading the Bible. I met one young man in Manti, Utah, that got saved because before he went to missions, a Christian challenged him to know his Bible so he can answer questions. And he decided to do that. And reading through the New Testament, he got saved, never went to mission. What do you do if someone asks you many unrelated questions about Christianity and you know they don't really even want the answers? Sometimes I just walk away. I I have a thing I do with my team, my evangelism team, called TW. I walk up to someone and say, TW, and they know exactly what that means. It's a time waster. We have one guy in New York. Uh, His name's Jason. Uh, He has been my regular, he had been a regular heckler. He's now got a job, I guess. But he was a homeless guy. He had been my regular heckler for nine years. I got to know him well, um, and he is a time waster. I told this guy, Dave, who's coming out with us with our church, he, we went out there, and Dave spent six and a half hours talking to Jason, and I told him, after five minutes, TW, no, 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 after an hour, TW, no, no, we're driving home. He was like, no, I really think he's close. I really think he's listening. I said, okay, just do me a favor. Come out next week. Next week, there's Jason asking the same exact questions. He goes, he's just wasting my time. Hello. (laughs) You could have actually been talking to people that might be interested. 
Now, it's hard to sometimes tell when, who they are, but once they're identified, that's why when you go as a team, it becomes good when you start, one person identifies them, you can just go TW, and they don't know what a TW is, but you do. All right, what do you do if you find that you are getting angry when sharing the gospel? Well, I've done that before, and I'll tell you about that tomorrow. No, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there are times we can get angry, we can get defensive, and that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the principles I, I want to give for tomorrow, but uh, we can get angry. Um, I've gotten angry plenty of times um, because I get defensive, because someone says something. Now, the, um, more often than not, I, I've gotten angry because people are, especially in New York, I had to learn how to deal with the fact that they're doing things to get a rise out of the Christians. Uh, and I've had to learn how to deal with that. Um, the way I've learned to deal with it is to basically acknowledge the fact that they are trying to get me upset. We have a guy in New York that used to come out with me in the early years every weekend. His name's Aaron. He's, he would sit there, and, and we had a heckler. I've had the same heckler in New York, Solomon Siegel, um, and he has been my heckler for going on 12 years. Okay, a vile individual. Solomon used to come out, and he would strip down to his underwear and gyrate in front of Aaron until Aaron started screaming at him. Aaron one day asked me, why doesn't he do that to you? I said, very simply, this is my way of dealing with it. The very first time that he took off his clothes, sat in his underwear, and started gyrating, I went, quick, folks, everyone get some money together. This guy can't even afford clothes. <laughs> he got embarrassed, and he ran off. I make a joke of it. That's how I've learned to deal with it. I, I use humor. The video you saw that, uh, with pro the professor, what happened just after that incident was three Jewish guys, and I didn't realize this until I got... I watched the video. There was a Jewish guy going, any other Jewish people here? Anyone Jewish? And when they identified three, they did a Jewish dance. They didn't know I was Jewish, and I knew the dance. <laughs> it's a Russian dance. They started circling me, singing Hava Nagiva. I knew exactly what they were doing. I knew the dance, so I grabbed the ringleader, and I said, no, if we're going to do this, have them dance around us, let's do this right. It's a dance where you grab arms, you switch like this, you get down really low, and you have to kick your feet out. Okay? He said, I can't do this with my backpack. And he got up. And I said, well, I can. I did it by myself, and I was doing it with, with my backpack on. The reality is, is it completely dissipated it. I didn't sit there and get upset over the fact that they were trying to distract me and do this dance around me. I joined in. When I had the two guys in tutus dancing in front of me, I just engaged with them. I'm like, can you do any other songs? Because they were singing songs. I'm like, can you do any other dances? <laughs> I wasn't going to ask them if they can stand on their heads because they already proved they weren't wearing underwear. That was one of the things I was thinking of asking them. And I went, oh, no, I'm not asking that. I was going to ask them to do a headstand. But I just use that. I mean, if, they, if they're doing things, they're, a lot of times they're trying to get me upset. They're trying to get me angry. Uh, I will try to do things to lighten that conversation. I mean, that's the, the real thing. Is I'm, I'm going to use questions that we'll talk about tomorrow, and I'm going to use humor. And I want to try to, it's for myself as much as it is sometimes for them. How do you share the gospel with a professing Christian who heckles you and tries to say that you are wrong? Okay, I'm going to assume that that question is because it's saying heckling me. That's because I'm doing open air. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the way I usually deal with, with professing Christians that say I'm, I'm doing it wrong when I do open air, which I get a lot. So one group of people I don't want to deal with um, when I'm doing open air. That and King James onlyists, because if I don't have the King James Bible, that's all. They just, you know, uh, get upset with me. And 
um, and it just becomes a distraction to the people there. And I don't want to be debating a King James Version of the Bible or how I'm sharing the gospel. I want to share the gospel. I don't want to be engaging and, and showing a division with a Christian. Okay? So the way I typically will do it all is I ask them how they would share the gospel. First off, 90% of the time they say they don't. If they tell me they don't, then I say I prefer my way of doing it to your way of not doing it. Because your silence doesn't get the gospel out. The other thing I'll often do is I will ask them, can you tell me where these people will go? Well, first I'll ask them if, they've, if they, all these people out here have, have sinned and broken God's law. They say yes. Where will these people go when they die if they do not repent and believe the gospel? They get squeamish because they don't want to say hell. Once they finally say hell, I say, good, you and I are sharing the same message. I'm just doing it up here. What do you do about the shyness and uncomfortableness of talking to people? Not everybody is socially gregarious as you are. Uh, I'm that wasn't part of the question. That was my own comment. Yeah. Uh, if you get to know me, I'm more of an introvert. I don't actually, like when I'm at home, I prefer being by myself. Um, so I'm, I'm, I actually, I, I, I'm not so much of the extrovert people think. Um, it's something I force myself to do. Um, how do you do that? It's called practice. Make the commitment. How did I do it? I made the commitment that I was going to share the gospel once a day with somebody, whoever that somebody was. Now, did I get legalistic about it? Yes. But you know what that did? It got me out there doing it and forcing me to practice. The issue is the practice. You know, what I hope might come out of this weekend, putting pressure back on pastor, is that you guys would form a, an evangelism team here and find some place where you can go hand out gospel tracts. I mean, you got Justin Peters here. Guy hands out tracts everywhere he goes. Like, everywhere. Okay? So, you know, just, just form a team and go out and be part of that evangelism team. Even if you don't feel like it, because I got news for you, you're going to have a lot of excuses why you don't want to go. You know? It's going to be amazing, the excuses. Like, no, no, really, i got to rearrange my sock draw tonight. It's a must. You're going to feel these excuses. Go with the team anyway, because they're relying on you to be there, because they need the encouragement too. Even if you're not going to share a gospel tract or anything else, you can pray for the others who are. But the reality is just going out, you'll, be, you'll feel more bold to share the gospel. And when you're doing it more, you'll get more comfortable with getting out there and talking to people that you don't know. Last one, did Jim let you shoot his Glock or just look at it? What's a Glock? I'm from New Jersey. Um, no, he just let me look at it. I, I, yeah, that, we were supposed to go shooting. That must have been from, from Justin because you know, he said we were going to go shooting. I don't know. You set the schedule. I, I, I didn't promise you we'd go shooting. I don't break my promises, so talk to Justin. So are we going to go shooting before I leave? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was our last question. So, uh, did it in time? Yeah, you went long on the first session, so we had to go long on the second session. Are we? No, out we went early? short on the second. We're session. We're supposed to go eight thirty or eight fifteen. Eight thirty. Eight thirty. So we got six minutes. You see, I can fit within the time. You just uh, did a long introduction. I mean, ten minutes for an introduction, really? Give. Give Andrew a round of applause. <laughs>
Okay, so tomorrow morning we will start at 9 a.m. sharp, so you can show up here as early as 8 o'clock. We'll have the doors open at 8, and we'll have coffee out and some snacks out. Tomorrow for lunch we have chili and cinnamon rolls and other snacks for the afternoon and refreshments, and I believe that that is it.